All right, I, uh, I'm going to continue in our series this morning called Dear Corinth, and uh, I haven't been up here for a few weeks, but one of the things I told you is that during this series, as a way just to make light of the weird things that happen in churches, I have stories to tell you, some of the best stories from Cornerstone's history, because if you read through 2 Corinthians or any book, uh, especially any letter in the New Testament, you're going to just read about some weird things taking place, and the reason weird things take place is because People are weird, and we have conflict, and things happen. Well, being that this is the Christmas Advent season, I want to tell you a story that comes from one of our Christmas Eves many years ago. So one of our traditions in our old room, at the end of the Christmas Eve service, we would invite all the kids up on our little stage, and we would turn on the bubble machine so it looked like it was snowing on the kids, and the kids would be up there, and they would dance, and they would sing the last song of the Christmas Eve service. And it was just a highlight for all of the kids, but it was, it was chaos. I mean, uh, our church has always had a lot of kids, but imagine 40 little kids up on that stage dancing around. It was a great way to end the service, but it, it was wild. Well, one Christmas Eve, my three older boys go up on the stage. Uh, they're, they're little at the time, Cole's something like, he's seven, Wyatt's four, and Levi is two. And uh, Cole was smart enough to know that when you're up on stage, you get away from your brothers because they're about to embarrass you. And so Cole kind of separated himself off to the side from, from his, his younger two brothers. And Levi and Wyatt proceeded in the middle of dancing and singing the song, coming right up to the center of the stage in the front of all of the other kids. And they turned around and they showed everyone their butts. <laughs> and they began to shake their butts while they were dancing in front of the entire church. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I thought, this can't go on for much longer. Well, they just kept dancing that way. Cole's moving further and further away from his brothers. Uh, finally, I don't know if it's Elise or I, but one of us ran down the aisle. And this, you know, have you ever noticed when parents are mad at their kids, but they don't want to sound mean? So they don't yell at the kids. They just do things that look terrifying, like, stop it. <laughs> I think we were giving the boys all the... <laughs> All the signals, like, you better stop right now. <laughs> Whose kids are those? Well, those are the pastor's kids. <laughs> Up front, shaking it in front of everyone. They were pretty proud of that moment. Uh, that tradition will not be returning this Christmas Eve here at Cornerstone. But, uh, hey, things happen. And, um, <laughs> I have so many stories I could tell you of my boys doing inappropriate things in the kids' ministry. Cole used to bite everybody. <laughs> Elise, we need your help with Cole. He seems to be biting all of the kids. Any of you have difficult kids, have a hard time in children's church? Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's all welcome here. <clears throat> all right, I'm glad I got you laughing because uh, today we're going to talk about a, a heavy subject. We're going to talk about the subject of spiritual leadership, the importance of having spiritual leaders in your life but also the warning against unhealthy spiritual leadership. This is a theme, if you read through 2 Corinthians, that is an overtone to the entire book. So just a little background and a reminder of what's taking place in the context of this letter. Uh, Paul had planted this church. You can read about it in the book of Acts. He had spent over a year there pastoring this young church. He had left, 
written the letter of 1 Corinthians. Stuff gets chaotic. The Corinthian church is waiting for Paul to return. He's taking his time. And rather than returning, uh, immediately he takes this, this long route to visit some of the other churches. And he sends some messengers ahead of him with this letter, the letter of 2 Corinthians. But the tone of his relationship with the church by the time this second letter is written has changed considerably. Some unhealthy leaders had made their way into the church and they had been deceiving people. They'd been moving them away from that pure gospel message of Jesus dying on the cross, taking from ourselves our very worst, our sin. He paid that price for us, then he entered the grave and he rose to new life and he shares with us his new life. They were distorting that message and not only were they distorting that message, but they had begun to trash Paul and the other spiritual pastors and leaders that were a part of their, their lives in previous years. And so it's this awkward relationship. Paul's trying to advocate for healthy leadership. He's kind of in the center of this conversation. He's trying to expose these unhealthy leaders. But here's one of the things that Paul's trying to do as we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's trying to help them see that we're so easily deceived by surface level things. We, we, we're, we're, uh, we're captivated by the flash and empty promises and loud voices and people who will fight for us. We're captivated by those things. And Paul says, you need to be very, very careful. Now, I want to read you a quote that I think kind of captures this idea. <clears throat> this uh, is a quote from, uh, I mean, just a tremendous author who recently passed away. His name is Michael Gerson. He's the former chief speechwriter for President Bush. But then to make sure that no one thought he was just on one side of the political aisle, he was a twice-weekly columnist in the Washington Post. So he had friends and enemies everywhere, okay? Because <clears throat> we like to be fair here at Cornerstone. By the way, Michael uh, Gerson is the one that's credited for the great um, aid that was sent to Africa during the AIDS epidemic. In fact, one of his quotes that was shared in the Oval Office as the chief speechwriter, he shared this, he spoke this to power, he said this, if we, do, if we can do this, meaning if we can stop the spread of AIDS, if we can save lives, if we can help people, we better do it. He says, if we can do this and we don't, it will be a source of shame for the rest of our lives. That was shared. But later in his life, he began to write about this new ph phenomenon that he saw happening in our country, and that is that people were being captivated by unhealthy leaders, political leaders. So we're gonna go back to spiritual leaders in a moment, but I just want you to read the, uh, I wanna read this quote, and I just want you to think about this in the context of spiritual leadership because it could certainly be true. By the way, just to be fair, he criticized the character of both of our last two presidents, okay? So again, not to make you think that we're picking sides here, he went after both of them. He said this, in the present day, in the present day, the frightening fervor of our, politi our politics makes it resemble and sometimes supplant the role of religion. And a good portion of Americans have a fatal attraction to the oddest of political messiahs, one whose deception, brutality, lawlessness, and bullying were rewarded with recent presidential elections. But so it is so, to some extent, with all political messiahs who make their gains by imposing losses on others and measure their influence in increments of dominion or domination. 
Then he goes on to say, before such a consummation, Christians seeking so, social influence, influence should do so, not by joining interest groups that fight for their narrow rights, and certainly not those animated by hatred, fear, phobias, vengeance, and violence. Rather, they should seek to be ambassadors of the kingdom of hope, the kingdom of mercy, justice, and grace. This is a high calling, a test that most of us, myself included, are always finding new ways to fail in. But it is a revolutionary ideal set by Jesus of Nazareth, who still speaks across the sea of years. So that quote has some sting to it, but the sting is not meant to be pointed at these political figures. It's meant to be pointed at the Christian public that can so easily be captivated by certain leaders. And he's not necessarily talking about the, the unfortunate experience of having to funnel all of your values into a small thing called a vote. He's not talking about that. But he's talking about how we put these people up in front of us as these messiahs. Now, when we get to our passage here in a moment, I want you to listen for a few things. I want you to, first of all, listen to, for a couple warnings. Paul's making some warnings here. First, the warning is about bad spiritual leadership. The second is a, a warning about the, the, what's inside of us that gets drawn to those things. It's getting to that quote. I want you to listen what good spiritual leadership looks, looks like. We should be able to, to notice it. It's self-validating. And lastly, I want you to see that Paul is over and over again returning to this idea that healthy spiritual leadership, shepherds in your life, mentors, um, parents who shepherd their children spiritually, these things are essential for us to have a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. And so he spends a lot of time talking about bad spiritual leadership all to get back to the point that you need good spiritual leaders in your life, but you need to be careful when you choose them. John Stott says this, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not, not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. It's a great quote, right? Okay, so remember, Paul's trying to get back in their life. He's trying to expose these bad leaders and we're gonna to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm gonna read a couple big sections, one through six, and then we're gonna skip down and read verses 12 through 21. This is what it says. I, I hope that you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. I promised you one husband to, one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit than the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, you guys are re you're putting up with these false messages. Verse 5. I do not think that I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. It's the name they gave themselves, by the way. I may de indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge, and we have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. And then going to verse 12, he continues on this idea. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want the opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. 
For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. And this self-confident boasting that I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way that the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you and puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Okay, so here's what he's saying. There's these self-appointed super apostles running around exploiting the people. But the people have been deceived. And we're not exactly sure why they've been deceived, whether uh, it's just that they're really eloquent in speech or they're rich or they're powerful in the city of Corinth. Perhaps they held other political positions in their city. Now they've made their way in the church, but they're there. And they stand up and they say, you thought Paul was a good leader, but he's not. Look at us. And so Paul is a world-class scoffer in both the letters of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He's a world-class scoffer. He's saying, if that's all it takes for someone to stand up and brag about themselves, to make empty claims about who they are, then let me boast all the more. And then if you keep reading in chapter 11 and moving, in, moving into chapter 12, you know how Paul boasts? He boasts about his weakness and his failures and his vulnerabilities and his mistakes. Because what is he doing? He's scoffing this part in people that's so easily deceived. I told you it's an awkward relationship that's taking place here. You've so easily given your heart to these lesser leaders. And Paul said, if all it takes is for people to brag about themselves, well, let me brag. Over and over again, Paul's trying to get across to the Corinthians that the system of power in the world has been flipped upside down. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so you go back to his first letter in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. This is what he's saying. Everyone thinks it's this way. And specifically when it comes to the gospel, everyone thinks it's about performing and doing more. And when it comes to power, it's about holding it and oppressing people. And when it comes to leadership, it's about promoting yourself. He said, no, not so with Jesus. It's upside down. And some people that live by that old system will look at the system that Jesus has now initiated into the world and say it's foolishness. Later on in verse 12, and this is what Gene will share next week, Paul says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Over and over again, he's saying it's different. It's different. It's different. So he's giving warning about these bad leaders. There's something that needs to be undone, something that needs to be unraveled in this, in this church. Now, let me just ask you this you can be vulnerable for a moment if you'd like. I'd just like you to raise your hand if at any point in your life you were harmed or hurt by someone that had spiritual leadership or authority in your life. I just want you to raise your hand. 
very common. And it's not just because leaders, all of us, any spiritual leader, even a parent, makes mistakes and fails. It's because at certain times, there are people that get in there and they literally use the position, the influence, the power to do evil things. We all know what that's like. I mean, think of the landscape of spiritual leadership that we now live in and we're having this conversation today. Uh, Just think of the the amount of uh, failures that we read about and see in the news. I mean, it's not just athletes and politicians and famous people and movie stars that are failing. There are spiritual leaders and pastors and priests that are failing right and left. So it's everywhere. And this is what's changed. You know, Paul's saying, hey, be careful that you're not around, that you don't put yourself under bad spiritual leadership. But people have gone so far as to say, "I I just don't even want to be around it at all. Last month, I was at a conference and this wasn't the subject of the message that I was listening to, but a side note, the, the, the pastor that was speaking shared that one of the questions that he's getting asked often at his visitor events, so he's, you know, the pastor hosts these visitor events, people new to the church come and spend time together. This church happens to be in New York City, in the center of many of these spiritual leader scandals. He said, one of the most common questions I'm getting asked over and over again is, why should we trust you? And why would they ask that? because they've seen so many untrustworthy spiritual leaders. They're being careful. It's not a bad question, especially in today's age. In fact, I think it's appropriate for people that are part of Cornerstone to ask the leaders here, why should I trust you? And the answer better not be for many of us that we're perfect. But I love the answer I heard from that speaker that day. You know what he tells the people when they ask him, why should I trust you? He says this, because I love and fear God. I love that answer. There's an affection and a reverence and a submission to God in the way that he serves and the way that he leads. And you know what that means? It means that when he does mess up and make mistakes because he's submitting to God and his love for God will cause him to repent and change. I love that answer. But isn't it true? Just like, you know, anyone that has the position of some kind of spiritual leader, whether it's mentor, pastor, Uh, It's just the title is like, oh man, this person's a creep. It's not fun in Boulder County when I meet people for the first time. They say, what is it that you do? Like, oh great, this conversation's over. So we have to be careful. Paul gives warning. Be careful that you don't put yourself under bad spiritual leaders. Here's the second warning. It's a warning about ourselves. Be aware of what's inside that causes us to be deceived so quickly. I mean, look at the deceit that's taking place here. Uh, You know, they've been deceived about Paul. Verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. They've deceived their own church about their pastor, that he's, you know, he's sneaking around, that he's not worthy different things, but the thing that bothers Paul the most is they've been deceived about the purity of the gospel, the one thing that makes their life different. It's not wealth, it's not power, it's the gospel, it's Christ in you, it's the new life, it's the death to the old self, it's the new life in Jesus and in the resurrection. You can see it in verse four. People come around, they preach a different Jesus, they, they, they talk about a different spirit, perhaps they have a different spirit than the one that they receive from Jesus, there's a different gospel. Think about it. How 
I mean, either these bad leaders are so convincing or this church is exposing something that's inside of every person and that is that we can be easily deceived because they've lost the purity of the most important message that they've ever heard. Now, this happens all the time in our culture today. This happens all the time. I think uh, what... what, uh, that commentator that we started with in the beginning was saying, hey, there's a lot of people that are treating some of these politicians like messiahs. We're treating some of the political agendas like gospels. And it's true on both sides. There's some new gospels. And when I say new gospel, I mean something that is, an, is a way to solve the problem of sin and something that justifies us, makes us okay with ourselves, okay? So a gospel does that. It's good news because it deals with sin and it puts us in a right place before God. But there's different ver- versions and visions going around. One of them disguises itself as patriotic and love of country, but it comes off a very different way. And there's nothing wrong with being patriotic and loving your country. But there's a vision that's presenting itself as a false gospel. And then on the other side, there's a vision that disguises itself as justice and love of others. And of course God cares about justice. We can be so easily deceived, but it doesn't just happen in the political realm. By the way, those visions have made its way into every church in America. And they are battling for people's um, affection, their loyalty, their passion. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and I'll, I'll read about some of these mistakes people make. And, you know, it's, it's, it's chronological arrogance to look back on them and say, how dumb could they be? But I do that all the time. We all do it. How could they ever think that this was normal behavior? And I started when I was reading this passage thinking, how could they be so fooled? How could they be so ignorant? And then I thought, boy, we're deceived all the time. Some things never, ever change. I wrote down a few reasons why we can be deceived and give ourselves to some of these lesser visions and and more importantly, lesser leaders. We'll embrace a bad leader if my enemy is their enemy. By the way, this is not the Christian way. We're called to love our enemies and pray for our enemies. And there are times that we have to oppose certain things that are evil in this world, but those things can be done while loving our enemy. But isn't it true that we will embrace someone that's not uh, of the character that they need to be because they will rail against the things that we don't like? See, this isn't just a political thing. Spiritual leaders do this all the time. We use our position, the pulpit, different things in life to divide the world up between good and bad Evil and righteous happens all the time. But we can be deceived because we want someone to fight our enemies. We can be enticed. Here's the second one. We can be enticed by empty promises. Flash. This idea that someone is going to come and fix everything. Like anyone is that able besides Jesus. I mean, did Jesus fix everything or did he make a mess some places that he went I mean, Jesus put into the world the seeds of healing and hope, the gospel. I often wonder how Jesus would pastor or lead a family today in today's age with all of its complications. We never really saw him do that. He had a a different role when he was here. But we can be enticed by empty promises. Uh, there's, There's a thing that's, 
that's intoxicating that comes to spiritual leaders, and it's dangerous, and it's this idea that you always want to be needed, you always want to be the one that saves the day, you want, always want to be the smartest one in the room, you need to be in control. And so because of that, there's a lot of empty promises that get made. There are a lot of pastors that make promises that Jesus never did. How about this one that's common today in America? That if you just obey God, he will keep you free from suffering. That's a common promise that gets made. Certainly not a promise that Jesus made. Here's the third thing I think just to be aware of, maybe why we get enticed by, by other people's and, and get caught up in these things is we can be, you know, we can be more interested in people's public gifts, their public prowess, than we are their private lives, their families, the things that often don't get seen. We're more concerned with the flash of their gifts than we are their character. Bernard Kelvin Clive says this, the real power and test of our ministry or our calling is not the pulpit or public arena, but it is our private lives. It's our home. So it's why it's tough. Like, you know, if you have, a, if you have spiritual leaders, regardless of, of what kind of spiritual leader they are, whether um, it, they're, it's formalized or it's just relational, you know, it, that can be tough on people's families, but it's meant to be that way. You know, we, you know, I talk about our boys all the time. I don't want my boys to have extra pressure. I don't want you to treat them any different than you would treat any kid. But what I do want you to know, and I, this is why we bring you in on our families, all of our staff does this here, is because we want you to know that's the life from which we minister. What happens at home in private. What happens at home in private, not just even with our families, but in our quiet times with God. That is the power and the authority by which we minister. And so you have to be able to see what's taking place. You know, for as often as I do stupid things uh, as, as a pastor, I've only gotten in trouble a couple times here. Can you believe it? And one of them was uh, my second year here in ministry. And Elise and I were doing horrible in our marriage. And she was begging me to go to counseling. And I thought, that's a bad idea. I can fix this. And I just kept saying no and no and no. And one day, <laughs> Gene calls me in his office and he says, you know, there's only a few things you get in trouble for here at Cornerstone. And I said, yeah. I go, what, what is it? And he goes, not taking care of your family. And you're not taking care of your family. We should be more concerned with the hidden things where character is exposed, where character is developed than we are the, 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 the upfront gifts of leaders. All right, those are the two warnings. I need to go quickly here through the idea of good spiritual leadership. Um, I'm gonna skip down because we're running, we're running out of time. I'm just gonna go to this last point. And it's this, the essential role of healthy spiritual leadership. So Paul's warning, be careful. Be careful of these leaders. Be careful of what's inside of you. But he never 
himself or the people that he's leading, he never takes them away from a different way of living and walking with Jesus. We need shepherds in our life who stand in the place of Jesus. They don't act like Jesus. They don't pretend to be Jesus, but they lead in his stead. People that protect, that notice, that pray. We need good, healthy spiritual leaders that uh, so much of spiritual leadership is done when no one else is seeing, so they're the ones that are praying for you. And they're asking God for you and they're studying the scripture so they can share insight with you. And they're showing up at those terrible moments in people's life just to be with people, not to fix things, not to bring answers, but to hold someone's hand while someone dies. Or when someone gets to the the end of themselves and they're ready to go uh, to a recovery center. Someone's there to hold their hand and to walk with them and say, you can do it. Let's go right now. Let's make the call right now. We all need leaders like this. I just think of my own life. I came to faith when I was in middle school. I was 12 years old. My mom thought it was a good idea to take me and uh, my two brothers to church. My dad wasn't a Christian at the time. My mom's just a, a strong, really brave lady to do that. She took us knuckleheads there. Right away, I met really great leaders. Our youth pastor, he was amazing. His wife was amazing. I thought his kids were amazing. I just so neat to be around a family. The whole family was centered around Jesus. I was around other leaders that that cared for me. One of my my favorite uh, leaders when I was in in high school was this older couple. They were in their 70s, Toby and Marion Bond. I'll never forget them. I'd see them a couple times a week. You know what they do? They'd always just encourage me. They knew that I was overly obsessed with sports. So if I lost that week, they'd give me a hug and say they were sorry. And I'd be like, no mercy. (laughs) But when I'd win, they'd high five. They knew it was important to me and they were there to cheer that on. But they nurtured a spiritual life in me. They saw spiritual leadership in me. They called it out. I'll never forget them. You'll never know these people, some of them. I'll never know the people that have impacted your life. I think back to being in college and I was just hungry. I was walking with God. I went, I went to this amazing church in Greeley. And, um, you know, I don't remember all of the messages the pastor there shared. But a good message is like a good meal. It fills you up. It helps. All right? You need it. But, uh, but I do remember a few messages that he shared. They changed my life. And I'm so grateful for the, the thoughtful uh, time, preparing, the prayer that went into it. He was a great leader. And mentors, one-on-one that would pour into my life. These are spiritual leaders. I would not be the same personally without them. I don't think you would be in the same place without good spiritual leadership. It's important. So Paul's saying, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful what's inside of you, but surround yourself with healthy spiritual leadership. These aren't perfect people. You know, one of the things that was hard six years ago when Gene and I um, we changed roles. So if you haven't been a part of Cornerstone for very long, uh, Gene is our founding pastor. He's still up here from time to time. He's part-time on our staff. He led for a number of years. Uh, during that time, the, the last decade or so, we shared a lot of leadership. We shared preaching and doing stuff with our elders and our council. But then the time came five years ago where he said, hey, I'm ready to step down and move into my next position. And I moved into the position that he was in. One of the hardest things for me personally was I lost my pastor who had been my pastor for the previous 15 years. I loved being pastored by Gene. I loved it. I love that he's a wild card. 
I love that he doesn't come up here and try to impress people, but he listens to the Lord. I love that he cares about people. I took so much from Gene, and I just, you know, it, it, was, it was sad to know that I had lost that. I still treat him that way. He likes to say that I'm his boss, but he's still my pastor. Learned so many things from him. We all need spiritual leaders in our life. Ephesians chapter four. So Paul's speaking to another church about the role of spiritual leadership. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then listen to this, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in deceptive scheming. Look at that. Good spiritual leadership actually helps make us resilient to bad spiritual leadership. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we mature, we become more effective, and guess who gets the praise? God does, right? Because his body, his family, looks like him. Don Cousins says, the aim and the result of faithful, fruitful, and fulfilling service is to make God famous. That is true everywhere, whether it's in business, your school, a church, ministry. Wesley DeWell says this, it takes more than a busy church, a friendly church, even an evan evangelical church to impact a community for Christ. It must be a church ablaze, listen to this leaders, led by leaders who are ablaze for God. We need people like this. Uh, last month I picked up a book it's called the, uh, let me get the title right. It's the 11 Indispensable Relationships That You Can't Be Without, okay? And so in the book, he, he finds certain people in the Bible that represent a certain type of relationship. And so there's 11 of them. I'm not gonna tell you all 11, but I wanna tell you the ones that represent spiritual leaders. And so uh, Leonard Sweet, the author, says this, you need a Nathan in your life. You need a, a spiritual Nathan in your life who will call you out and confront you when you need confronted, and will point the finger back at you. Remember what Nathan told David? You're the man. This is something that's happening. You may not see it, but this is something that's hurting you and other people. You need a Nathan. Another chapter is you need a Jethro. You need an older, wiser person in your life who will challenge you to say that you can do things. You can do things differently. It doesn't have to be this way. You need a Jethro a mentor that way. Everyone needs a Barnabas. What's Barnabas known for? Being the what? The encourager, right? You need someone to encourage you. That when you don't have courage, literally, an encourager literally shares their courage with you. They give courage. Courage comes from relationships, other people. You need an encourager in your life. One of the chapters is you need a Paul or a Peter, and this is what he's describing as a pastor. You need a, a pastor in your life, a shepherd in your life, 
who's loving and caring and teaching, but also looking for the wolves that are around you to protect you. And then lastly, he says, you need a Deborah, someone who will fight for you and cover your back. Someone who's close enough to like take some of the hits for you. These are the relationships that we need. This is spiritual leadership. It's not just this type of relationship. In fact, spiritual leadership, if all it is is, is some formal relationship and it's kept at a distance, it's not effective. It has to be relational. That's why here at Cornerstone, we, you know, we have a pretty big staff for a church our size. You know why we do that? So we can spend time with people. That's why. And it's a financial commitment to, to pay for people's time not just so that they can lead and speak and play music, but so they can spend time with people. It doesn't take very long to get to one of our pastors and have some time with them. And that, we don't want that to change. So just in summary, some warning. Beware of bad spiritual leaders. They are everywhere. They will be a part of your life, our lives. They'll be a part of this church at times, and we will have to deal with it. Uh, beware of the thing inside of us that's enticed by flashy leaders that we avoid, we don't notice the character, the hidden things taking place in their life, but we're more enthralled by um, the fact that they can fight for us or their, their gifts. But lastly, surround yourself with healthy spiritual leaders. It is only to our benefit. All right, worship team come out, and I wanna close by doing something a little different. We've not done this with our spiritual leaders before. We've done this with teachers and business owners here. But if you're a person that has some role of spiritual leadership, okay, and I wanna give you some categories. So if you're on our staff, I want you to stand. If you're on our church council, I want you to stand. If you lead a small group or you mentor even one person spiritually, I want you to stand. If you lead in another ministry or a nonprofit in a spiritual way, I want you to stand. If you're a parent, who desires to lead their family spiritually. By the way, it's our job as moms and dads to lead our families. Do not farm out the responsibility to the church. We will never do a good enough job. We will never replace mom and dad. Cannot do it. Even if you're a single parent and you have the hard task of trying to lead spiritually your children on your own, okay, I want you to stand. I want all the spiritual leaders to stand up if you're leading anyway, and I know a bunch of you are gonna stand up, so let's stand. And I'm gonna bless you today, and I'm not trying to make a point that this type of leadership is more important than any other type of leadership. That's not the cornerstone way. Like I said, we've honored teachers and educators and people in the business world we need we need healthy leaders everywhere. But you know what we don't do enough here? We don't thank you enough for what you do. It's really important. It's really special. It's my pleasure to come alongside of you in the way that you're leading. It's a tremendous gift. I wanna read you something from 1 Corinthians chapter four as you stand and then I'll pray for you. So this is in that previous letter to the Corinthians. Paul's saying this to them. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mystery of, of God that he has revealed. Okay, that, I know that that's your posture. Now it is required that those who have been entrusted or have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
I care very little if I'm judged by you or by human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Here's the thing about it. I know that you know that when God has put you in a position of spiritual leadership, that ultimately we will answer to God. We lead in his stead as ambassadors in his place. That's where the fear of God comes in. Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And then here's what I want you to hear. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Listen to this. Most of what you do is not noticed or thanked by other people. It's not appreciated. In fact, you're often misunderstood. Spiritual leaders get asked to get involved in the messiest moments of people's lives. And guess what happens? Things get really, really crappy in those moments. And guess what happens to spiritual leaders? They get blamed sometimes. That happens to you. I know that. But you just keep doing it because you love God and you love people and you keep serving and you keep leading and you keep influencing. But someday, like this verse says, you will receive praise from who? From God. Imagine that. We see Jesus, we throw down our crowns, but you know what Jesus is gonna do? Jesus is not only gonna thank you for being faithful, it says that he will praise you for your leadership. It's amazing, an amazing picture. I think it's a vision every spiritual leader needs to hold in their mind. Someday I will stand before him and it will all be worth it. It's an amazing picture. All right, I wanna bless you with that image as we close. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment and I thank you for the influence and position and power that's in this room. We do not wanna boast in ourselves or in our own talents. We know, Father, that we are only standing because you have called us, you have empowered us, you have entrusted us with the care of others. And so I thank you for all of these spiritual leaders that are here. And I bless them in Jesus' name. And I bless them with more wisdom and more power and more patience and more perspective to lead. I pray that you would give them wisdom to know when to, when to challenge and when to support those that they're leading. That you give them wisdom and timing I bless them that they would lead together, that they would, I mean, it's one of the signs of a healthy leader is that we lead together. We share the responsibility, the authority together. I bless them with companions along the way to lead together. Use them, Father, to build up your church, to make us effective, to love this world and to make Jesus famous in the world. Use them, use them. As they pour out their lives, I pray, Father, they would spend time in quiet with you so that you can fill them back up. That you would overflow their heart so that they can continue to love and lead and minister. I bless them with that. And then lastly, Lord, I bless them with the image that comes from this passage. I bless them as they serve with the reminder that someday they're gonna stand before you. And it's not gonna be one of those moments that we're afraid. We're gonna smile because you're gonna honor us, which is amazing. I bless them with that image that they may remember it. Help us stay faithful. Help us finish. 
Help us lead as you would. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. Let's stand together and worship.